come this morning. <clears throat> and sometimes it seems where I t- where I I'll turn to the 37th chapter, or 37th psalm <clears throat> for a text this morning. I don't know even if we can call this the text, and I hope you'll bear with me if I seem to jump around to a number of different places. This morning I hope and pray, and I hope you would pray even as George has already, that this would be open to all of us. I'm just re-quoting something that I heard someone tell of an old ministry said it seems that sometimes the the sermon is for the people and sometimes it's for the ministers and said hopefully God willing most of the time it would be for all of us and I would have that prayer this morning but it seems perhaps this is more I could just sit down and this would be directed at me but God willing you all be fed For a text we will read the 37th Psalm, and I will read the fourth verse. It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Amen. This whole psalm is actually one that is quite dear to me. But for some reason this verse seemed to stand out. And I guess perhaps it's because my mind, my natural mind immediately would want to take this verse and say, well, so this is how you get whatever that you want. And I guess in in the bottom line that is in some ways true. But I think we have to look perhaps a little bit deeper at what it is actually telling us. My mind goes to a portion of scripture that's found in, in the book of Isaiah. I believe it's the 58th chapter. <clears throat> The last two verses of that chapter. And it says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So, to me, encapsulated, that portion says that if we keep the Sabbath day holy and do what it is that God would desire us to do, And then it says, Then thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord. And we read 
through the book of Moses and in the New Testament even. And it gives very specific instructions and warnings, I guess, to keep the Sabbath day holy. And even now, we can't, I guess if you would say, technically call a Sunday a Sabbath day because the Sabbath was a the seventh day of the week. <clears throat> but we could we still gather on that day and I'm not going to go into the reasons for that. But there is reasons that that has changed. We are in the New Covenant. And it would instruct us, Paul instruct us, instructs us that it isn't necessarily what day important, but that we would remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. And we look around us in the world, and I don't have to look any further than myself to look at things that happen on Sunday, and how quickly and how easy it is to get drawn into things that are of this world. And they're maybe not wrong. Some of them, I believe, I guess I could say quite comfortably that for a Christian they would be wrong, but there's things we can do every day that is not right in the eyes of God. So, But it is also interesting and someone this was very important to them if you read where Moses lays it out, I believe it's in Exodus, and we say that you shouldn't work on Sunday, and, and it's true, it says that. But, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And there is a lot more to that than not working. And this is maybe just a little rabbit trail, but... I can remember years ago and Sunday evening sometimes we would sit and just watch something that happened to be on TV and very often it seemed like either we didn't or whatever because whatever was on was it was some horror movie or something like that and I don't think that is by accident I I believe that the devil works very powerfully to try to orchestrate things so that what God would instruct, he undermines. And he's not very worried about how it is that he does that. Any way that he can, he's happy to do it. And I think that that is something that it is important to remember for us. It isn't something that we know that there are some groups that they basically make it a matter of salvation, which day that you go to church. And and we know how, I don't know if you say in depth, but how far the Pharisees and those went with the instructions on what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. You could walk so far known as a Sabbath day journey and these kind of things and 
they went far beyond what God instructs. And it's interesting how mankind can do that, that in our quest, in our natural reasoning to become more holy, we actually become less holy. And when God says, keep the Sabbath day holy, we turn it unholy because we're trying to do it with our natural reasoning. And I think that is perhaps part of what it is telling us here. But I think it goes much deeper than that. If we turn back to the beginning of the Bible, we know that the God made the world in six days. And then we turn into the second chapter. And it says, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God had made. And so there we go and we see why it is or the beginning of why it is that we keep the Sabbath day holy and why we rest on the Sabbath day or on the seventh day or as we do on Sunday. It is something that it is biblical from the beginning. If we turn I believe it's to the book of John. Jesus, near the end, it's after they've had the the Last Supper, and there's quite a lot. He prays, and, and there's quite a lot of interaction in the book of John that happens in that period. And he says these words here, if I can find it. In the fourth verse of the 17th chapter, this is Christ speaking, and he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have glorified the work which thou gavest me to do. So we see what it was that Jesus had came to do. He came to accomplish the work that God had sent him to do. And at the end of that same gospel, as he is later hanging there, this is in the 19th chapter, in the 30th verse, and it says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So there we have it. That work that was sent to be accomplished, it was done. Christ came and he came to glorify God. And in glorifying God, he walked obedient to God and did what God asked him to do. And God was glorified through that. And we were saved. We were given the means to salvation. He accomplished it. The work was done. In Hebrews, 
It is written and it talks about that rest that is Christians. And I believe that is that time period that we live in now. We are in a time of resting. We can rest in what Christ has done. There's quite a lot here that I could read. I don't know how much to read. Speaking of Christ, this is in the middle of the third chapter here of Hebrews. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So we see there, and we know that this is speaking of those Israelites and that example that God gave us through them of when they were traveling in the wilderness. And it says that they were not, they did not um, come into the rest that God provided. They were not in, allowed into the promised land because of unbelief. And their hearts were hard. And we could go into that and, and spend quite a long time, I'm sure, studying all the things that happened. They came out of Israel. And, and, and we see human nature. They saw God stand the water up on either side in the Red Sea and they went on dry ground and then the Egyptians were killed. Shortly thereafter, they're worshipping a golden calf. God gives them the law. He tells them, go into the land that I am to give you and conquer it. He sent in spies and all but two of them said, no, we can't do it. And they said, no, we're not going to go. God's angry with them, so then they decide that, oh, well, I guess we'll go. God tells them no, but they still go and they're defeated. They spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. It, It is a sobering thing, and I think it is something that we need to take note of. We are no different. We're the same flesh and blood that they were. We walk obedient to God and believe Him. That in Hebrews, it says then, I'll read the last verse there and it just emphasizes, um, I guess, what it says. Well, I'll read a couple more. It says, well, well, it is, he said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Excuse me. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, 
But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So we see what it is that provides belief unto salvation. It is faith. And it is something that we say, we are saved by faith. God would give us faith that we would believe him and trust him. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein. And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limited a certain day, saying, In David, today after so long a time as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So we see that God, and it is speaking that that I read there from Genesis, he finished what he had done, and he entered into that rest. He tells us there that Um, sorry my mind went blank but it emphasizes in that last that I read also once again that it is unbelief that is the problem and we can go back to the beginning and we know that Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden of Eden They were not obedient to God and sin was the problem. And sin is still the problem and sin is what it is that stands between us and God. But we also know, as it says here, that this happened from the foundation of the earth, the world. That this salvation and overcoming of sin was in place. And we know what that is. It is Christ. And he came and accomplished that work that was necessary to pay for sin. To make it that God could look on us with favor and mercy. He accomplished it. And we can rest in that of what even that few simple words that I read there that he said from the cross just before he died. It is done. And so it is accomplished that sin no longer has to be the problem. We can put them on, hang them on the cross. It says he took the sin of the whole world We hear teachings that he took the sins of those who believe in him, and that is true. But the Bible tells us he took the sins of the whole world. 
There isn't one person in this world whose sins are not paid for on that cross. And if we look at it in those terms, it is something that I would hope that nobody here, and we would not desire anyone that standing on Judgment Day would be in that place where you could see that fact that all those things that are condemning us or that person they were paid for we didn't have to carry them we didn't have to stand there and and pay for them Jesus did it but now this is strictly in my terms instead of giving it to him we held on to him and said no I'll deal with these instead of saying I can't or acknowledging or realizing and I would pray that if God would put on our hearts that fact that we are sinners that we would also recognize what he tells us that we can take that and that sin and give it to Christ and rest in that. <clears throat> in Matthew, Jesus says, <clears throat> this is in the 11th chapter, and this is Christ speaking again, and he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of us, or maybe all of us, are familiar with that term yoke. It is something that, if you're driving a team, it's there and and they're both hooked to it. We look at oxen, they are yoked together and, and it's something that goes over their necks and, and, and it is what is hooked to. And, and to work properly, they have to walk together. They have to start and stop. And even, I mean, I suppose one could eat or drink without the other one, but it's an awkward situation because they are so tightly hooked together. <clears throat> and it is something that we see that that is how Christ would desire us to walk. That we would walk so in sync with Him. And unfortunately we're humans. And we don't start. And we stop too quick. And we, whatever. Anybody who's drove horses or probably other animals know that things don't work right if one starts and the other one doesn't. Or one stops or and things go together, it works smoothly, and things are accomplished. And I think we can take that in our lives. And it comes down to perhaps simply to be obedient to God. And having a heart that would desire to hear when God instructs us. We know those Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, 
By day they had a cloud, and by night a pillar of fire. And when they moved, they moved with it. Or I mean, when it moved, they moved with it. And when it stood still, they stopped. And it is how it was. And my mind says that, well, that would be a lot simpler because it seems like something that we with our natural mind can see would be easier to be obedient to, perhaps. And maybe in some ways it is. But I would be very sure that I bet there's days when the cloud started moving and there was lots of people like, oh my goodness, not today. I, I got stuff happening that, I don't know, who knows what, bread baking or whatever. It's just our human nature. Sometimes, and maybe lots of times, we find that God, God's way isn't in sync what I feel or want to do. I just read a quote that was attributed to Lincoln here the other day and, and it struck me. He said, and, and this is not verbatim, but basically he said that <clears throat> my worry is not wondering and we have to I'm sure all of us know, put this in context, he was speaking during the time of the American Civil War. So the whole country, who he is the leader is, is imploding and fighting with each other. And he says that my worry is not, is God on our side. My worry is that I would be on God's side because he is always on the right side. And that is, I would pray, how all of us hearts would be. Not to worry whether God is doing what, or with us with what we are doing, but are we doing with what God wants? And in some ways it's the same thing, but there can be a vast difference. (coughs) Excuse me. Hebrews there, I'll carry on a little bit. It says, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. So it is telling us that we would labor to get into that rest. And it's an interesting thing how that can be. But it says, But the, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two, any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do so we see what it is it is said that the word of God It is in the hearing of the word of God. It is in the listening to that word of God. It is through the revelation of the spirit of that word of God to a heart. And maybe everybody else is different than me, but I find this flesh 
it can find so many other things that it would want to do besides coming to the hearing of the Word of God. There's other things that are much more interesting. And it has to be put in subjection. And thanks be to God through His Spirit. And and I have maybe said this before, but if I have any question at times, is God really there or the power of God? All I have to do is take the time to look at what it is that he can overcome in my natural being if there is any of his will accomplished in me to know the power that is there. And it is a labor for this flesh to come and do these things because it's work. It doesn't want to. It says, Seeing then that we have this great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but is in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there it is. We have it. Where we would come... And it says that we would come boldly unto that throne of grace. And why is it that we would come there? Because we need the grace of God. It isn't that we deserve to be forgiven. We know we don't. But we have a gracious and loving God who has set up that altar that we can come there. says that we can obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. When is it that we are in need? When is a heart the most in need? When it is struggling with sin. And when when we are struggling with sin, it leads to what? That thing that was mentioned so many times there when he's speaking of those in the wilderness that they are to worry about it says seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief when we are struggling with sin it causes unbelief because we we know whether we want to admit it or not as humans, how unable to come before an all-righteous God who needs perfection. He demands absolute purity. Do any of us measure up? No. And if there is sin that we are struggling with, I guess... I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but we are smart enough to understand that we cannot believe that our God could be that merciful. We do not have that faith in what Christ has done. To believe, does it really apply 
to a sinner like me. What does it say? Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And yes, people say, and it is true, hearing the word of God, and that is important. But it says, hearing cometh by the word of God. In the beginning of John, it tells us, John speaking, and we read it so often, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with was, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And it said, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is speaking of Christ. It is Christ. And through his spirit, that we are given ears to hear. And perhaps it is something that we could pray for ourselves and even for others who are perhaps in the world still. That God would be so good as to give them ears that they could hear that word. That that word would come into their minds and into their hearts and work there and accomplish what it can work which is repentance say yes godly sorrow worketh repentance and when the word of God through his spirit reveals to a heart what we are it brings sorrow because of what we are It is something that is necessary. And we would desire that people would come to that altar, to that throne of grace. That they would come there with a contrite and humble heart. That God would work that. And even that we would be given, and I say it is a privilege, that we could assure them. And it is that message that we proclaim so often. That believe those sinnings and doubts and shortcomings forgiven. Why? Because of the blood of Christ has paid for it. And in the power of his name and what he has accomplished, those things are paid for. They're gone. You don't have to carry them. You can rest in what he has done. And we qualify it lots of times and say that yes, as Christians, it isn't that we sit and don't do anything. And that is true. And we read here, and I read this maybe too often, but in the sixth chapter of John, said, And they say unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Then Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. And there we have it again. The opposite of unbelief. Believing. Who Who did God send? Jesus. That's who we believe in. 
And it tells us that we are to walk as he did. And he walked obedient to God. And we are to rest in that. And a thought comes to my mind, and I don't know if it makes, hopefully it makes sense to you as it seems to in my mind. And I will just use myself. And I guess this did happen to me, and so that's how I'm able to use it. One summer we were going to go out and visit my sister Shelley and Merle, and they farm out in central BC, for anyone who doesn't know. And as soon as we got done haying, we took the time to go out and visit them. And anybody who's taken part in haying knows that it can be a hectic time. You have to work around the weather, and some days it hay doesn't get dry enough, and some days we have to decide whether we're going to cut it because whether it's going to rain or not, or whether we should bale it a little bit borderline because it's going to be even worse if we don't. And there can be all kinds of things. We got done and we went out there and Merle wasn't quite done haying yet. And so I was holidaying, if we put it in those terms, and yet I went and helped him. And it was it was no problem. It was fun. I had no worries. I was doing the same thing as I was doing before, but I didn't have to worry if there was fuel in the tractor. I didn't have to worry if it was too wet. I just went and did and yes, I had to make a decision if I turned the corner in the right place. And the truth of the matter is, just because of things, I probably worked harder to try to make sure rows were straighter than they were at home or whatever. But it wasn't work. It was just what I did. It was, you could almost say, fun. I had none of the worries. And perhaps as Christians, I hope we could use something like that. It may be that our life in some senses doesn't change much in some areas. We're still doing the same things. Yes, if someone comes into faith, there's changes in your life. And if someone can say that they can go from living in the world to becoming a living child of God and there's nothing that changes, I think there's something wrong because we, we know as Christians how different the world's ways and God's ways are. But we still have to walk here as people. We have to eat and sleep and carry on with life. But, are those things a worry and a problem in our life? Or are we just doing what God's asked us to do and let Him handle the worries? Resting in what Christ has done and trust that God will take handle the rest. It's a very difficult thing for us as people to do. We want to handle a little bit. We have the reality of it is when I was out there, I had no less control of what the weather was going to do than when I was at home, and yet I didn't worry about it. There's many things in our life that are that way. It doesn't matter whether we worry about it or not. It doesn't change it. And yes, we have to be diligent and do things it says that we are to do things to the best of our ability but where is our focus it isn't on those things it is on being obedient to God it is 
that we would walk our life in such a way that Christ is our focus, not the things of this world. And I guess that is takes me finally back to that first verse I read, and I struggle to even call it our text, but it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give me give thee the desires of thine heart. If we delight in something, whatever it is, we want more of it, we want to be around it, we want to interact with it. And it doesn't matter what it is. And so we see that this little verse changes our focus. It isn't that it tells us that we delight in God and he's going to give us all these things that our flesh desires. It's telling us that when our delight is in what God wants, our focus changes and the things that become important in life are those matters of eternity, those matters of salvation, those matters of the well-being of our fellow Christians' souls, the matters of unbelieving people's souls, that we would walk obedient to God, And it promises us that when our focus is there and we delight in those things and that is our heart's desire is salvation and salvation for others. And that we would do his commandments and Jesus and I believe that's in John also there he says it a new commandment I give you, and I will try to find it and read it here. This is my commandment, this is Christ speaking again, that ye love one another as I have loved you. How did Christ love us? He loved us as we were. He loved us as sinners. He didn't love the sin that we were in or are, but he loves our soul. And he gave our life, his life, for us. When we delight in God, we recognize that there are people and that we would pray for hearts and souls and our fellow man. We would desire that he would give faith to them also and give faith to us. And it gives a great promise here that where that when that is our focus, those matters of eternity and not focused on things of this life, our delight is in God. He will bring those things to He will give us those desires of our heart. I'll close with the next verse after that one. It says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Let us rest in that promise that God has given us. He will accomplish it. He will bring these things to pass. 
Yes, we might be doing things. But let us quit worrying about it. Let us leave it with Him. He's the one that's in charge and can handle it. No matter how much we worry about it, it isn't going to change anything. No matter how much we try to do something about something, it may make it worse. But when God does it, it will be accomplished. He can do it. Let us trust in Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Somebody have a song we can... Twenty-seven. Seventeen. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven.